him to break down this barrier at a certain appointed time so they can free his mom. Anyway, clearly something doesn't seem right here. Shang-Chi teams up with his sister, breaks out of his dad's compound, goes to his mom's village to try to basically warn the villagers there um, that something bad is going to come, like his dad is coming to attack them. The villagers basically reveal that there's some ancient evil that's kind of they sealed behind this gate, who is basically manipulating his father because of his grief, um, and that when he opens it, it's not going to be his mum that pops out. So, anyway, long and short of it is that Dad comes, there's a big fight, pretty emotional fight, where kind of like Shang-Chi and his dad kind of result, like try to resolve their emotional issues through Kung Fu. Um, yeah, and then... There's a <laughs> the big monster breaks out. There's a big Godzilla fight scene. Anyway, in the in the full spoilers podcast, I've already spoiled the plot completely. But Shang Chi's dad dies. Anyway, Shang Chi is able to save the day along with his sister. Um, you know, save the world from this Godzilla monster that's kind of hiding behind the gate. That's it. Now, the way I've made the story sound seems pretty flimp, flippant. The way I've made it sound, but this is in my mind, like, a super good film. Like, it's been, you know, it's been a while since I feel like we've talked about a good film on this podcast. And I, like, actually really enjoy this film, right? Like, I mean, I sound flippant when I'm describing it, but, like, you know, this is a super enjoyable film. It is a great film when it leans into this idea of it being a kung fu fantasy film. It's a great film. It's really good when it leans into the emotional aspect of a grief-stricken family that, you know, has broken apart, hasn't been able to heal, and basically, you know, there's this whole thing that runs through this film about family and, like, how families fracture and how families come back together again, right? Like, I think that it does that really well. It does the fantasy kung fu thing really well. I think, in my mind, like, that alone seals the deal for me with this film. I think the bits of this film that don't work as well are, like, the Marvel... Like, to be honest, the Marvel elements. Because... I feel like when they lean too heavily into the Marvel elements, like the big dumb CG fight at the end, and like, you know, some of the cringy Marvel jokes and that sort of thing, like trying too hard to fit this into the universe, I think that's kind of where elements of this film don't work as well. But anyway, I've spoken for like more than five minutes now, monologuing, I'm going to throw it across to somebody else. Who wants, who would like to start first? Mags, Anja, Jerry, who wants to talk first? Mags, oh, Anja, Anja, you spoke first. Go. I, I can't really uncomfortable with silences. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not all sick. Look, totally agree. As soon as this movie opened with Tony Leung riding the horse in some ancient setting, you know, with a whole bunch of horses behind him, I was like, I'm gonna like this movie. This is gonna be great, um, and it kind of was. So. There's so much to say about it. The fight scenes were amazing. Like that first fight scene on the bus just stands out 
so much and I think I actually like like said something out loud in the in the cinema out of just amazement when you saw that kick that he does when he's kind of like jumping between one half of the the bus and the other half it just looked so visually amazing um I really loved it I thought Aquafina was great in it um just really funny and it didn't the humor wasn't out of place at all it just really accented the movie really well in some ways it felt like two different movies um you know the first half uh where the the grittier kind of half where they find the sister um you know and there's the fight club and then they find the father and they're sort of in his prison home um and then the second half where it's it's like full on fantasy you know like full on hard fantasy with um these mythical creatures uh this beautiful scenery in the forest um moving hedges moving forests like it was it was all it was great though like even though those 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 halves seemed very jarringly different it kept it interesting and i liked both of those halves and i you know i kind of i get that it's like it's like walking into the into the wardrobe in the line the witch in the wardrobe you know here's a gate and now we're in a different world and that's that's fine it worked fine for me um i thought that tony leung and um who the, the 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 lady whose name i've forgotten who plays the i think michelle yo yes, who correct. plays the yeah. aunt they're just so good i think these actors they're such good actors and they have such screen presence that whenever they are on the screen it just feels like it's their movie um but having said that shang-chi the the actor who um plays shang-chi he did a whole lot better than i actually expected him to like i just thought he was going to be completely outshadowed but outshadowed by tony lung and you know he was but you know he he was good in his own, own right as well so that was great um you know the family theme so it's really easy for this sort of theme to become quite cheesy and in some ways it was cheesy but i was very happy to lean in to all of it um it was an interesting story you know because uh the father of the mandarin or you know whatever we call him you know he starts off as this ultimate bad guy who is only interested in power and he lives for a thousand years and all he's driven by is power which is a strange idea because you think you would get really bored after seeking power for a thousand years then he meets this woman um the the children's mother and it, it it all changes and it seems to be that it only changes because she's able to best him in a fight or maybe it's the chemistry who knows but it changes and he becomes a good person but it seems like the only reason he's become a good person is for this woman and that's probably not a very stable or long lasting sort of type of change if the only reason you've changed is because you want to be with this woman and you want her approval so then when she dies you know unsurprisingly then he kind of goes back to his his ways but it was really like difficult to see like the difference between his love for his wife which was just so like um so enduring and relentless and you know uncompromising versus his love for his children because i think the children say you know he treated us differently when mum was around but then once she died 
it seems that he was he was angry and resentful at this little boy for not being able to protect his mother, not trying to protect his mother. It's almost like he would have preferred if he'd gone down, if he died as well, just trying to protect his mother, which is an insane thing to hold against, you know, a tiny boy and like very painful. And as far as the sister went, he rejected her because I guess she looked like the mother or she, you know, her femininity reminded him of the mother. So it was like... Like, I don't know what it's like in real family dynamics where you lose a partner and how that affects how you perceive your children. Because in my mind, I would just cherish the children even more because I know that's what my partner would want from me. And also they are the only thing I have left of him, right? Like that that's my only tie to him. So that's how I keep him alive is by keeping that bond alive. So in my head, that's, that's what happens. But it, it does make sense to me that actually other people might go the opposite way. And maybe this, maybe this is a realistic, you know, kind of response to losing a partner. I don't know. But I love that it made me think about that, you know. Um, I thought it was really unrealistic, though, that this character let those children go free in the world for as long as he did. He is such a control freak. Um, I don't understand how he would have done that unless the explanation was he really didn't care at all. And that the only reason he brings them back is because he wants to get, you know, he wants those eyes of the dragon. And when he finally frees the mother in his mind, that's what he's going to do. He wants it to appear like one big happy family, not because he actually cared about those children. So that was kind of sad. Um, I loved that scene where Shang-Chi fights his dad the second time round. Um, and I think the second time round, he's got a greater sort of appreciation for who he is, what he can do. I'm not sure how he got it, but like I do, I did see the change in him from being in that magical wood and meeting his aunt and sort of connecting with his roots because obviously he was really struggling with a sense of identity and not belonging. You know, he's been kind of rejected by his dad, unloved by his dad. He's lost his mum. He's, he's seen her die. He's been forced to kill somebody and he's not comfortable with that either. So there's a lot kind of preventing him from like actualizing and, and, you know, making the most of his ability. And I think that conversation with his aunt, just being back in the homeland of his mother and being accepted by those people. And then the conversation he has with um, uh, his best friend, Aquafina, where he confesses to what he's done and she accepts him. She doesn't reject him. I think all of that allows him to sort of come into his own. So he has this final showdown with his dad. Um, I love that he used the moves that his mom showed him. It's like he's kind of claiming that that heritage, again, sort of claiming who he is. Um, and I loved that he took those rings away from his dad and he showed that he had he controlled them and that he had their power. And then he just he just smacked them away. He just he just shoved them to the ground as though they were just bits of metal because he wasn't going to use those rings against his father because he did love his father. And I think I think that affected the Tony Lung character. I, I think that I think that affected the Mandarin. Like you see his face and you see that he's moved by that. Maybe it reminded him that love is more powerful than um, you know the thirst for power, which is the experience he himself had when he met their mother and he decided to give it all up for the love of her. So I thought it was a very very like moving, powerful moment, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and even though Tony Lung, the Mandarin, even though he didn't really have a proper scene where he gets to regret everything he's done and like really make amends, I think that scene where the, the, the horrible creature lifts him up 
and he knows he's dying, but he relinquishes the rings, even though he knows he's dying. I think, you know, I would have understood, I would have expected him to want to hold on to that power to the very bitter end if he didn't care for his son. I think the fact that he relinquishes it does show, you know, some sort of change there, which was kind of great. I like that. Um, look, I think that the only thing that annoyed me about this movie is the way Shang-Chi's sister was treated. Um, great, you have this sister, you have a kick-ass female, I'm, I'm happy you have that, but you can't treat her as furniture or as some sort of side thing that, you know, there was no emotional arc for her, which was ridiculous because she's also one of the children who have been who has suffered and been traumatized. She's also a force of on all on her own. She's amazing. The father never has a moment with her. They never do get to do anything to repair their relationship. And Shang Chi, well, Shang Chi, I'm happy that you got to tell your best friend about this horrible thing you did that explains why you never went back to your sister and explains why you, you know, have, have, went on to have the life you did. But I think that would have been a conversation better had with your sister. And I don't think the fact that you are clinging on to her, you know, at the end saying, I'm not going to let go this time, I don't think that does it, okay? That's not enough. And that was, seemed so <laughs> empty to me. Seems so empty to me when this poor sister character was just not treated as a real character, despite being such a big part of the movie. So I didn't like that part. And on the same vein, look, on the same vein, I'm happy that there was no like romantic relationship between Shang-Chi and Aquafina. Um, like, it wasn't that I'm happy, it's like I'm not sad about it, okay? But I do wonder why was there no romantic relationship? Is it because she's funny and and not like, you know, some like, I don't want to say that she's not model-esque, maybe you think she is model-esque, but why is it that that character wouldn't get the romantic relationship? It just kind of bugs me. Like, is it because the woman who's funny and not maybe your quintessential, like, like runway model doesn't get that role in a movie like this? I don't know. So I didn't like that aspect either. But that, those are the, just the two things that, you know, I didn't like in general. I loved this movie, loved the action, really loved that, as Gerald calls it, like the faceless wombat chicken, you know, the the little, that was so yeah. cute. Mags so and cute. I like, called it uh, the ass chicken. <laughs> it's like a bum. I, 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 I want one. I called it the, the wombat's ass with wings. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love one. Like, if they put out merch, I would be... <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. Like, like, um, it was ridiculous how they found that in his father's home and that they just took them to the village, but I forgave it. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, look, Anna, I, I think I look. I agree with you. Like for me, like I think the family stuff really did speak to me. Like I, I think um, families, especially when there's kind of grief involved, people do kind of irrational things and people do things that hurt each other, right? Because you know you do things to try to put distance for whatever reason. It's completely irrational, right? But you do things to put distance between yourself and those that you love so I, I i definitely i i felt like there was um look i mean there was realism in it to the extent that you could believe that his dad was <laughs> a guy who controlled like this multinational criminal organization for over a thousand years right like to that extent yeah so yeah i i definitely felt like um 
there was um, there was like a ring of truth in kind of those relationships. I kind of did, like, I mean, this idea of letting the kids kind of run wild for a little while and then eventually, like, then the father saying, okay, now it's time to come in. And, like, that does feel like a pretty kind of Chinese thing to do on some level, right? Where it's kind of like, you know, the the patriarch kind of sits there and is like, oh, yes, okay, you're just running wild. But eventually you realize that you're going to have to come back and like take over the family legacy or whatever it is, right? But definitely like that element does kind of ring true with me. Um, I think um, I agree with you that the final fight scene with his dad is... Um, is really good. And I kind of want to stress this, right? Because, like, there are a lot of fight scenes. um, Like, I mean, why is this scene good? This scene good is good because there is that sort of emotional punch that goes with it. It's actually not just two people like punching the hell out of each other, right? It's, there is, it's that emotional layer that makes those scenes kind of, powerful, right? And I, I think it's actually a very important lesson to for a lot of films nowadays, where films nowadays with action scenes, they just pile more and more and more action on top of it, and it's just kind of like, yeah, here, have more explosions, have more, like, cars flying into space, or whatever it is, right? But it's kind of like, none of that really matters, because the scenes that work the best are the ones where, like, that emotional, those emotional stakes are high, and it matters. Like, the outcome... The outcome of it is not punching guys in the face. The outcome of it is actually this emotional, like, dual, well, you know, the emotional resolution that's kind of occurring, right? So, yeah. I mean, I think also in that final scene, kind of Shang-Chi, I think, um, is ends up being able to control the rings because you're exactly right, Adja, because he's able to let go of that, like, um, I guess... Um, Hate is probably too strong a word, right? But, you know, like, his, his, like, the issues that he's had, had with his father, right? Because, you know, there's a scene before it where he basically confesses that he feels like he has to kill his father, right? And in fact, he feels like it's kind of like the right thing to do. And, like, when he says that, look, that was a kind of a weird scene, but on some level, I was kind of happy to give that a pass in the sense that you say stuff that kind of you don't mean because you're kind of angry at your parents or you're angry at your loved ones and you kind of like you're lashing out right and kind of like you know when after that first fight and he gets hit to the bottom of the sea or whatever it is right like he like there's kind of this moment where he kind of realizes that like continuing to punch his father in the face and lashing out at him like that is not really going to resolve whatever issues they have, which is why when he comes back, he's kind of like a different person, right? I, I, I agree with Anja 100%. I, I thought that was um, really, really good. Anyway, like, I'll shut up for a bit and let someone else talk for a while. Uh, Max, why don't you shoot? Um, okay. Well, I, I completely agree with both of you. I really loved it. Um, I hadn't heard about Shang-Chi before, and so I was curious to see um, how the Marvel Cinematic Universe was going to introduce him and incorporate him into the um, into the offering, particularly because um, the last few recent Disney um, uh, series that just um, on streamed on Disney Plus were, I would say, me- mediocre at best. Um, so I was really looking forward to um, a return to um, the last phase of the Cinematic Universe. Um, I thought it was really fun. I loved the action, the fantasy, and the magic. 
that was in it. Um, I completely agree with both of you that focus on the central story on family um, was really the main part of the movie that I enjoyed. Um, I like that they took the time and effort to actually build that story and build the relationship. Um, some of the other scenes that um, I really enjoyed that spoke to me about family that you haven't mentioned yet were um, the little scenes at the beginning where after they kind of introduce the mythology of Shang-Chi's father, um, they then go into present day, which is where Shang-Chi, a.k.a. Sean, is living his daily life in San Francisco. And those little scenes where they show him and Aquafina at work, being friends, at karaoke, and then he turns up the next day at her family apartment and has breakfast with his with her family. I loved that scene and you know, the um, the mother's cooking, I think, congee for them for breakfast, and he has that little conversation with um, with um, Aquafina's um, grandmother. Um, I think her character's called Katie, and um, her grandmother's chiding her about getting married and all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, finding a purpose in life, that's just – it's such a classic little scene of, um, you know, a Chinese ethnic family and the hopes and dreams that they have for their children who are, you know um, – Second generation, um, uh, second generation in in this country that they've come to. So I really loved that. Um, I actually really enjoyed the classic romance um, story between um, Shang Chi's parents and how they met and the the love that blossoms between them. Um, I know that's quite silly and it, it is very classically romantic, but I actually found that quite appealing. Um, and it humanised um, Tony Liu's character. Um, and I also really loved how um, at the end of the day, the story that um, sort of underpins the conflict is actually a, a story of a family that's dealing with grief um, and that they've been trying to, to grieve but haven't been able to get over it, and it's been over 10 years. And so it's this desperation of a father who you know, is trying to find his love again. Um, look, you know, for me anyway, um, yeah, trying to reclaim that past, that happy time in his life where, you know, for thousands of years he's really been living like a warlord and then all of a sudden he found this happy romance and then it was taken away from him. Um, I thought that was quite powerful that at the end it was about a family dealing with grief. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's what I, I enjoyed about the family aspect. Um, oh, the other scene that I thought spoke to me about that as well was um, when Tony Leung and his what are they called the hundred hundred year hundred year cult or ten, ten rings they're the ten rings called? the hundred year something the ten anyway, rings but... they're called the ten rings mags oh they're called the ten rings <laughs> that's in the name of the film <laughs> I thought that's what the ten rings were that he was wearing I didn't realize that that was the name of the like criminal hundred year cult <laughs> Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Hundred Year Cult. That's the next movie. Um, Where they break through the portal and they're facing off with Michelle Yeoh um, and she's trying to talk sense into him about how this actually isn't what, you know, her sister would have wanted. Then they break out fighting and then the first thing that Tony Lung does is go and pay respect to his wife at the family altar. I thought that was also really beautiful touching moment and also very intrinsically Chinese as well so um, I really enjoyed that too yeah Max uh, I, I 100% agree with you on that like I, that's something that I actually had forgotten about I thought that was actually pretty authentic and actually 
um, says a lot, said a lot about the Tony, like the Shang-Chi's dad, right? Because for all this stuff that's going on, I mean, you're right. This film is basically about family grief and basically misguided attempts to basically um, address that grief. I mean, Shang-Chi's dad is incredibly misguided, probably driven by the fact that he has lived a thousand years as someone who's probably not psychologically particularly balanced, right? But he's incredibly misguided in in how he thinks the best way to deal with the grief is, right? Okay, let's get revenge on the gang that killed my wife by training my son to kill him, to kill the guy who led the gang. Yeah, obviously, hugely misguided. And then subsequently, oh, I'm going to try to bring her back to life. But at the end of the day, like, you know, what works here is basically, even though he is, like, incredibly misguided, like, that element of the love for his wife, it's never really questioned, right? And, like, you're absolutely right. The little touch that, like... He the first thing he does is to go to the altar to light the incense. That is something that like Chinese families do, ethnic Chinese families do, like all the time, right? Like when like when my like parents, you know, ex friend friends come over, first thing they go do is to go to the altar, right? So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I thought that was really authentic and like. Um, I think it really, I think it humanized him while emphasizing just how important those types of um, what would you call them? They're not like rituals. Doesn't that that type of that 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 type of family respect or the like? What would you? What would you? I don't know what you would yeah, call that yeah. sort of behavior, but just how important that is in the culture. Like it kind of because here there's this megalomaniac, massive, powerful, thousand year old villain, and he is abiding by that you know that sort of thing as well. So it humanized him and emphasized just this aspect of the culture, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah, and also, like, if you think about it, what's going on is, like, there's a big fight going on outside, right? Like, so he completely ignores that, right? He's just kind of like, okay, fine, you guys do that. This is the most important thing that I need to do right now. I, I thought that was, like, quite a powerful little statement that they did there. Yeah. Anyway, good point, Mags. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you. Do I a couple of other things, um, other action sequence that I absolutely love. So... I loved that bus sequence. I also loved the scaffold fight sequence. I thought that was amazing. Um, and it also brought out the badass um, action ability of his sister as well, which I thought was really cool. Um, weird that um, for some reason, and this is sort of segueing in things that don't make sense, but I'm okay with it because overall I love this movie. Why do the um, why does this like incredibly powerful criminal organization only fight with knives and tasers very (laughs) strange to me including when they go into the parallel universe that doesn't make sense to me second other thing that i wasn't quite sure i liked trevor aka the mandarin from iron man um came back as a character wasn't sure that was really necessary, but then again, I guess they needed a device to introduce the butt chicken character, so maybe that's why Trevor was necessary. Um, other thing that didn't make sense, how did Tony Leung stay so young when he took the ten rings off his body? Not sure how that works. And then how did the Avengers and Doctor Strange... How could they have never known about this parallel universe? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then the last thing that I definitely didn't like 
and I wish that they had ended the movie, and we should talk about this a bit more, I wish they had ended the movie when um, when Shang-Chi um, defeated his father. I thought that was a really good place to end the movie, but instead it then morphed into this Godzilla-esque fight scene between the Guardian, the, the aka the Water Dragon, and the evil bat jellyfish monster thing, which, you know, to be honest, you don't really have a sense of until right at the end of the movie. So there's no, like, there's no high stakes there because the high stakes was already sort of um, completed when Shang-Chi battled his father. So I was a bit, yeah, I thought, uh, I'm not sure I really needed that Godzilla fight scene, but anyway. Yeah, look, I, I, look, things, (laughs) I disagree with you on Trevor Slattery because I actually (laughs) enjoyed Ben Kinsley's role there, but... I 100% agree with you on the Godzilla fight scene, um, but we can unpack that after Gerald has had his say. Jerry, do you want to chime yeah, in? Yeah, look, look like, like you, I actually quite enjoyed Trevor Slattery. In fact, I've, I've enjoyed both his appearances. I, I actually quite liked Iron Man 3. I really liked the sensibility that Shane Black brought to that movie, and I liked the fact that there was an attempt at taking this racist stereotype of a character, the Mandarin, and turning him into a bit of a joke. Uh, this figure played by Trevor Slattery, um, uh, who is being served up by Guy Pearce, the puppet master, who was lurking behind him. So I thought that was, I thought that was funny, and I, I quite liked his uh, reappearance in this movie. And it really says something about the cachet, the power, and possibly the size of the bank book of the uh, bank book of. Um, of the of Marvel Studios that they can get someone like uh, Oscar-winning actor Sir Ben Kingsley, or as Christopher Moltisanti called him in The Sopranos, Sir Kingsley, uh, to play essentially a comic relief role. So I thought I thought that was um, that was a bit of a flex on the part of uh, Marvel Studios. We can get we can get prestige people to make complete asses of themselves uh, for a bit of cash because that's how much cachet and pull we have in Hollywood. Um, look, I think I'd be repeating what everyone has said already by by emphasising that in large measure uh, Tony Leung walks away with this movie, but the fact of the matter is he does. I mean, that scene in which he takes young Shang-Chi to the, um, the Chinese restaurant slash gambling den uh, to look for uh, the mother's killer is something straight out of an early John Woo movie, like it's like an early scene out of Hard Boiled, and Tony Liu walks in, and he pulls off a look that no man in this decade has any right pulling off. That is, the the silver suit jacket with sleeves rolled up. Um, the fact that he manages to sort of not look ridiculous, um, spoiling that look, is I think testimony to to just how effortlessly cool Tony Leung is. I mean, he's so cool, he made being cuckolded look cool in in The Mood for Love. So, um, you know, he, he, he looms very, very large in this movie. And, you know, whenever whenever they share screen time, he sort of blows Simu Liu off the screen, which is which is not an easy thing to do, given though, because even though this is Simu Liu's first lead role in a major film, he does have presence, but he doesn't hold a candle to to Tony Leung. So um, he does walk away with the movie. And 
as is the case with so many comic book films, um, this film is strongest possible, certainly in its first two acts, absolutely, or at least very, very much so in its first act, where you see um, two very good action sequences: the the uh, the scene on the the scene on the San Francisco bus, and then in the uh, ba- the scaffolding outside the the building in Macau. Um, and after that, in its third act, it does sort of um, tend towards the silly and become a bit of a kaiju movie, uh, which I've got to say was not what I thought I had paid. Um, a <laughs> I felt a bit, <laughs> I felt a bit gypped. I thought I was going in to see like, you know, a proper, like Marvel's interpretation of a proper Kung Fu movie, you know, sort of half Marvel, half Enter the Dragon. And instead I got sort of about an hour and a half of, of that, of what I thought I'd paid for. And then half an hour of basically, um, uh, the second Godzilla movie. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and and like it was look look there were emotional high points in the third act, not least of which was the the fight between um, Shang Chi and his father, and his father sacrificing himself um, and relinquishing uh, the rings. So that's that was a strong emotional beat. But like let's face it, the you know. War Dragon versus the Blamange was like it was a bit shit, and <laughs> and I felt a bit I felt a bit ripped off. I must say, I mean not enough not enough to hate the movie, but I thought it was a bit of a bum note that the mo- the movie struck in its third act simply because it was so different from what had been promised and set up in its first two acts, and it was just it was just silly in a way that um, the movie hadn't been beforehand. It was just, it was. I mean, all Marvel movies indulge in a bit of silliness, but you know, given the sort of the the kind of um, groundedness of the first act and part of the second act, um, I thought we, at the very least we could expect you know something that was as grounded as say um, the Captain America trilogy, but instead this was. Yeah, it, it became a kaiju movie yeah. and a not very compelling one at that because, like, to this day, uh, Hollywood hasn't figured out how to do kaiju movies. So, um, yeah, Let, let's unpack this now, Joe. Let's let's unpack yeah. this final thing yeah. now, right? Because, like, in my mind, so here's how I thought the film was going to end. Like, that final bit when the stupid squid dragon thing breaks out of the gate totally blindsided me. I thought the film was going to end that Shang-Chi's dad, he'd get the rings back from Shang-Chi and his dad would kind of realise, oh my God, what have I been doing? This is freaking crazy, right? And then he looks with clear eyes that there's a squid monster about to burst out of this gate and that he basically says, I, like, he, he does something to sacrifice himself to keep the gate kind of in place, right? And I thought that was going to be the ending. I thought that, you know, his sister would land down, they'd have a moment with his dad, and Tony Lung would be like, okay, I'm going to be here and do some magic rigmarole or whatever it is, but I'm going to sacrifice my life and bequeath you guys the rings, and I'm going to keep this monster here, right, for the sake of everything. Honestly, I don't understand how you could possibly have thought that was going to be the way the way (laughs) it ended. There's there's a scene where Michelle Yeoh takes... 
um, Shang-Chi through the through past the sort of carvings on the wall telling the story of how the dweller in the dark was shut behind the cave the first time round with the assistance of the water dragon. The moment I saw that carving, I thought, oh, shite. Yeah, I know. Look, maybe it was, it's wishful thinking that I thought it would be an emotional ending rather than like, hey, instead, let's just throw heaps of money at CG and have like this like sort of white dragon fight this crazy like Cthulhu monster thing. It was just, it, yeah, it was, it was a very, it's a very strange choice. It, it really... It was, it was a strange choice, but I think it was driven in part by the fact that in this phase, phase four of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Marvel Studios has uh, put a big bet down on the multiverse. Yeah. And Michelle Yeoh explaining the story of the Dwarf in the Dark hints at this, hints at the fact that I think the people of Talo themselves are from another parallel universe and have come to ours in order to protect it from the Dweller in the Dark, which decimated their universe. Um, now, as 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 you guys recall from our discussion of Loki, I have no particular love for the multiverse as a concept. I think it's, I think it, it shows the MCU being at serious risk of disappearing up its own ass, but um it is it is part of the the broader tapestry that they're that they're weaving here and yeah i i also feel though that like the last few marvel films i've seen there always seems to be some really big dumb cgi fight at the end right it almost feels like this is actually just something that they have to do they have to do like even when it's humans fighting it becomes big dumb cgi humans fighting Right, you can tell when the Marvel, the actors get superseded by the CGI, and like, I don't know, I don't know what it is, right? Maybe it's just part of this. This is why at the beginning of this podcast I said that I think the weakest parts of the film is are when it leans away from the fantasy kung fu stuff and kind of is like I'm a Marvel movie because then it tries to fit itself into this sort of mythos, right? And then at the same time it kind of does the tropes that the Marvel movies do, which is big, dumb CGI fight at the end. So it's kind of like, yeah, like, in this case, some of these things just don't fit quite quite well together. Like, I mean, it's a fine film, right? But, yeah, like, there's definitely... Like, you know, as you said, right? I mean, I think you're right that the reason they had that CGI thing is because they wanted it... Like, it's like something that they're setting up in their wider universe. But because, like, they're trying to set this up, it actually sacrifices an element of this film, which I think could have been resolved in a more satisfactory way that was, like, more consistent with basically the rest of the film, right? Yeah, and look, it's interesting comparing this movie with with Mulan. Um, the, I mean, this the is a live- much better film. Like, let's... I think we can all agree on that, right? <laughs> both of them, both of them, quite obviously bear the imprint and influence of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like both of them were the sort of wuxia-influenced um, kung fu thing um, quite heavily. Mulan is basically, you know, sort of the poor man's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, and this one, particularly in the opening scene when. Um, Tony Lung meets his wife, that has very much um, got the the imprint of um, the way Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon staged its fight scenes, both as not just fights, but but also 
almost as dances and a way of conveying um, the emotional connection between the two characters through the through the physicality of the fight scenes. So, look, the, so but 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 in both both Mulan and this movie, the the imprint and the influence of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon can only take the movie so far when the studio requires um, the movie to do something else. So Mulan becomes basically a very very stupid. Um, subpar Disney princess movie and this becomes in its third act um, almost DC-esque in its in its stupidity um, so uh, you know whilst whilst the movie whilst the movie um, in showing its influences uh, very much on its sleeve is aspiring towards something quite ambitious uh I think this is one where where the studio actually just got the better of the ambitions of the filmmakers. Yeah. I feel like this is harsh, guys. Like, okay, I've been thinking while you guys have been talking because it's just not what I, how I experienced it. And I wonder, just putting it out there, might be wrong, but I wonder if because you guys are just so um, knowledgeable about the Marvel world and you're looking out for this stuff, um, that's the lens through which you see it and it seems kind of annoying and unnecessary to you because the, the way I saw it is the reason I thought there was another action sequence after Shang-Chi's dad was defeated was because Shang-Chi's dad needed to be gone, in I think, in order for Shang-Chi to become the new master of the Ten Rings. And so that's his origin story. So the point where his dad dies and he becomes, he takes over the rings, that's the moment of his origin. And I think often in these movies, these origin story movies, you need another action sequence for the hero to cement in his status as the hero to, to you know to do something triumphant after he has become who he is and so i thought that, i assumed that's why they had whatever you might have thought about the monsters like i thought that's why they had that scene um and in terms of this whole world like i thought that the reason they had this world is because they wanted to incorporate parts of chinese mythology you know, like with the dragons and with the, 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 you know, that sort of mystical sort of side of things. Like I, that, that's the lens through which I thought it was all happening. And so maybe that's why it didn't seem so unsatisfactory to me. What do you think? Look, maybe, but the fact of the matter is, like, I have no previous familiarity with the character of Shang-Chi. I have no real familiarity with the character of the Mandarin beyond um, having seen the Ben Kingsley a parody version in Iron Man 3. Uh, and so it's not as if I, it's not as if I brought a great deal of pre-existing knowledge to this movie. What, what I think I did bring though, and maybe this is the, this is the blind spot was this expectation given, you know, this is, um, you know, the first Asian led Marvel movie, uh, and given the, the opening, say half an hour of this movie that this was going to be largely um a a, a a sort of marvel with martial arts um rather than uh, in its final act a, a monster movie and look i understand why why they did it not just not just because of trying to fit this movie into the multiverse but we know from the sort of structure of the modern comic 
book movie that it's not enough just to have one antagonist you've got to have at least two that's why you know sort of in in spider-man 3 there are two baddies there's venom and the sand thing and why in you know sort of um and and so you do always get this sense that the 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 hero has to be has to has to face off against more than one antagonist and so they just at the very end swerved and introduced this new antagonist in the form of the the sort of blamangi monster but um given how good the the initial act the first act of the movie was um yeah it just felt like a bit of a come down i mean it didn't like i said it didn't make me hate the movie i still thoroughly enjoyed it but i thought it was a bit of a a bit of a bum note that, that was struck at the very end yeah, and look, and, and I think for me, the reason, look, I mean, I'm ragging on it because it's kind of fun to rag on things, right? I, as I said, overall, I still kind of really love this film, but um, I think part of the reason why that Godzilla scene kind of grates on me a little bit is, I, I guess I feel like there's an opportunity cost to that, right? And I do feel like this film could have been resolved with a focus on kind of the emotional elements that actually make it the film that we love, right? It's those those family elements that actually make it a really satisfying film. And it kind of goes to this point that you were talking about in terms of having a proper resolution with his younger sister as well, right? Because there is, like, that final monster scene, kind of the emotional bit that they have is kind of this bit that doesn't quite land, right? Which is where he grabs onto his sister and is like, I'm not letting go, Right? And if you think about it, like, in some ways, if that scene had been tweaked a little bit or, you know, you had a few scenes, you know, scenes prior, like, if you think about what's actually going on there, like, they have kind of both just lost their father. And in terms of family, the the two of them are basically the only two family that are left really, like, two direct family that are left, and, like, in my mind, like, that's, that's quite, like, that's quite a powerful thing, right, so, when he says, oh, I'm not letting you go, I, like, because, kind of, like, I guess, me personally, having gone through some of this stuff, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of get that, sort of, that desire to hold on to, like, your direct family like that, right, but as you said, I, I don't think it quite lands, right? And so this is, I guess for me, the reason why I rag on this Godzilla scene is because I wish... Look, and I don't know exactly how they could have done it. And this is like 100% like backseat driving, right? So, you know, take that how you, how you will. But, I mean, I just wish they had done more with those scenes to kind of land that aspect of it, right? Because if you're going to bring up this aspect of, okay, actually, we're the only ones left now, and so we're together, so we have to hang together, right? That scene needed to be played in a different way. And I don't know if it could have been played in that way when there are, like, giant monsters beating each other up. Anyway, that, that's kind of... That's where I'm yeah. coming from. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, it, it did take away from... The, yeah, you're right. It, it minimised that, that emotional moment. Yeah, and, and 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 you're right, and you're right. The the cost was they actually could have done something with the sister and given her a proper emotional arc if they didn't have that that monster scene. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like they just didn't think it was it was crash bang actiony enough or something at the end. Mm. I don't know why they did it, but I kind of I suspect it's because they you know they had to they must have had a monster quota that they had to meet <laughs> somehow. And that was how they met it with that massive 
Like, you know, because they spent so much of the story of the movie building the relationships and the family story, right? And they're like, oh, my God, I need to meet my monster quota. And that's how they met Yeah. It. Oh, this this film is too emotional. We need to have the dumb <laughs> fight scenes for the Chinese market. Because the Chinese market doesn't only wants big robots and monsters fighting each other. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> Ironically. See, this is the thing, right? Okay. I genuinely think this film is, like, really speaks to Chinese diaspora, like, or Asian diaspora, more than it speaks to, like, mainland China. If Disney thought that this was going to be the film that helped them break mainland China, like, like, I think this, this film, in some ways, is very much like Crazy Rich Asians, in that, like, that sort of simpatico, it works much better with overseas Chinese, overseas Asian people, right? Um, and, I mean, it's driven by the fact that Shang-Chi is, like, this expat Chinese person. He lives in, like, San Francisco. He's got this whole life in San Francisco, right? And, you know, like, and they bring in, like, Katie, Aquafina's character, and she actually has a very Chinese family and understands the traditions, but she doesn't speak Chinese, right? Which is very realistic. Like, we know a lot of people who are kind of like that, who are still connected with their culture, but might not actually kind of speak the language, right? But I don't know how that really plays to a mainland Chinese, like a very cynical mainland Chinese audience as well, right? So, um, and I think about it also, like, like this film for me, it doesn't, I think Jerry's brought up this idea that this film is kind of like a Marvel take on Wuxia, but for me, it doesn't feel as much Wuxia as, like, it feels like a Marvel version of, like, those 80s and 90s Western Asian fantasy films, right? Like, you know, Golden Child, or, like, Big Trouble in Little China, that sort of thing, right? Where there's this big fantasy element, and you kind of have this sort of almost fish-out-of-water element that's, like, you know, exploring this fantasy world and this sort of thing, right? Look, obviously done with more subtlety and authenticity than, like, you know, some of those, like, Big Trouble in Little China and Golden Child and that sort of thing, but, like, for me, it has the same sort of feel to it, right? It's just that instead of having a white lead, you have, like, an Asian-American lead, right? Um, But, like, you know, the the feeling is the same. I I don't know if you guys um, think the same. I I don't know if you guys think feel the same about that, but that's kind of like, yeah. Because I I feel like genuine Chinese wuxia films also have, like, a very different feel. Um, Yeah, like, I, I think I've seen, like, my fair share of those, those, and, like, the feel is very different. Like, a, a lot of them, in my mind, and look, maybe maybe I'm wrong, right? But in my mind, a lot of them kind of, like, those wuxia films kind of assume that the audience is fully familiar with kind of all this stuff, right? There isn't that sense of exploration and wonder that kind of exists in this, it, to some element, in this film. Um, yeah, anyway, that's kind of my thoughts yeah. on that. Look, it's funny that you mentioned that this is this is this is a movie that would play better with the Chinese diaspora because, amongst other things, we know that um, it hasn't been released yet in China, and the word is that it's never going to be released in China simply because um, um, Simu Liu has, in a previous life, been quite critical of um, of the regime there. Is that so, true? They're not releasing it, this film in China. 
uh, so it hasn't been released in China. Um, there is there is a real question mark over whether the Eternals is going to be released in China, given that um, I think Chloe Zhao isn't exactly a flavor of the month in Beijing either. So, um, so the this is this was I think made with the Chinese market in mind, but as it turns out, I think. Uh, will be it will be something of a surprise if it ever makes its way to the Chinese market, um, and the and so I think um, it, it very much bears the um, the mark of something that um, will play better to the diaspora simply because it's made by people in the diaspora um, who have very little idea of what's what's actually going on and what would actually play well um, behind the walls of the Middle Kingdom. So um, I think I think you're right about that, Daz. Um, look, in terms of the Wuxia influence, there's certainly less of the sort of um, pop mysticism that, that you see in those sorts of movies. Um, and that's probably not a bad thing because that some of that pop mysticism can be quite impenetrable. Um, but... At, at the same time, you know, the it, certainly in terms of the fight choreography, in in at least the first two or three of the fight scenes, um, you, you do see the influence of, of that sort of filmmaking. Yeah, yes, great. Yeah, and, and and I thought those those were the most exhilarating moments of the movie. Um, fine, uh, and uh, like, and the funny thing about this movie is it's it, you know, it's it's got so much. You know, the fight scenes are so good. But structurally, it's kind of bizarre because you've got so many like comic relief characters. So there's Aquafina's Katie, who's doing the usual Aquafina thing, um, and then you've got Trevor Slattery, and then kind of Benedict Wong. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yes. That um, was weird. Like, there is so much. There is so much comic relief in this movie. It's almost as if like the filmmakers were thinking. Hey, slightly alien culture here, it being all Asian and all. Maybe the way to make the medicine go down a bit easier is to serve up the sugar, serve it up with this sugar of comic relief. Um, and so you've, yeah, you've just got these, this sort of la- these large helpings of 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 comic relief, uh, which is fine. Like Benedict Wong is kind of awesome. In fact, what a legend! Like he's not particularly good looking, and he somehow managed to find a way into these movies. And has become real, a really quite sort of ca- popular character in the Marvel universe, um, and he, he doesn't do very much. Yeah, it is. Of, it is kind of weird how they. Deal. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it is kind of weird how some sometimes these random side characters just gain popularity. And I think Marvel, when they see that, are like, okay, we'll give him more of a role. Yeah. Like, what's the last character? There, there was um. Anyway, it slips my mind. I, I think they've done this with other characters in the past as well, but yeah. Um, There's all the um, uh, what is it? Um, Chris Hemsworth. You know how he made all those friends in that. Yeah, like yeah, Korg. Korg. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. These characters are kind of recur because you're like, oh. But okay, so okay, did you like the Marvel Incorporation elements? Like, did anyone... Look, post credit scene. There's a post credit scene where, basically, Shang-Chi gets inducted into something. I, I don't know if it's the Avengers or, like, 
the Doctor Strange Club. I'm not entirely sure what he gets inducted into, but like, um, did anyone else find it weird that Aquafina was with him then? Because <laughs> isn't it really dangerous bringing a civilian into like? Cause she's got no powers. She's literally got no powers. She's a better shot than Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, she is. I was just Back like, to the neck, everyone. <laughs> she's literally just picked up the, a bow the other day, right? It was... I, I couldn't understand. I was kind of like, okay, maybe you bring her in for moral support. But the way they're talking to her is like, you're going to be on the front lines too, lady. I'm like, isn't that massively irresponsible? She can't do anything. What is she going to do? Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh... Other little Easter eggs. Um, did you guys... Was it just me? Like, I'd be interested in seeing if you've... Like, Jerry, did you see that... Did you see the ex, Extremis guy? Because Mags was asking me this question. Is Pepper's Pot still, like, immortal because of the Extremis thing that she took in in Iron Man 3? And there was part of me that had thought that Extremis had just been retconned out of existence. But did I see in the Fight Club, there was a guy who kind of was an Extremis super soldier? Like, they cut him, and his blood was lava or something? Was that just my imagination, or did that happen? Uh, dude, you, you, you were paying too much attention, uh, certainly more than I was, because... Uh... <laughs> Uh, that that had that had sort of passed me by. Not to mention the fact that um, the uh, the actual the actual plot elements of Iron Man three have well and truly escaped my memory. All I remember of Iron Man three was it was quite funny. Uh, ben Kingsley, Guy Pearce, and the kid. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, look, I think we've been chatting for about an hour now. Um, are there any other major points we want to have a chat about? Aja, Mags, anything else that we kind of want to really touch on in terms of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Mm, I think that's it. Right? Mm. Uh, I think that's it as well. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. Look, on that note, um, I think we all kind of agree that this is a pretty enjoyable film. And look, I'll be honest... This is a film that I'll happily watch again, actually, right? Like, this is a film that, when it is free on Disney+, and I want to make that very clear, when it's free on Disney+, I am quite happy to, like, turn this on again and rewatch it. Like, I think it's, it's like a pretty fun fantasy film, got some pretty cool action scenes. Um, yeah, has a pretty good heart as well. So, yeah, good one. And you know what? On a final note, right... What I loved about this film was that it was didn't never... And I think it reflects in the Rotten Tomatoes scores because you see in a lot of... What I've noticed is that in a lot of sort of um, films nowadays, there's this big division between critics and audiences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this film could could have been one of those, right? Because on one hand, critics would be hesitant to hate on this film because there is that diversity angle to this, right? But I think to this film's credit, I don't think it really plays that diversity angle pretty particularly hard, right? I think at the at the end of the day, this film actually is just like a pretty like solid 
human film that, like, even though there are elements of, like, Chinese and, like, Asian culture in this, I think that it kind of speaks to everyone, right? And so, yeah, I I think that's, like, I think that's, it's credit to Disney that they've made a film where, you know, they could have really leaned into that sort of, like, diversity thing, but, you know, they've just chosen to make a good film, which is what they should do. And I think the Rotten Tomatoes scores kind of reflect that because this is one of the few few films where critics and audiences both, like, really love it. I I think on Rotten Tomatoes right now, the audience score is actually higher than the critical score. So I think for me, what this this says is that this is actually a pretty fun, entertaining film that pretty much anyone can enjoy. So, yeah, good on them for doing this one. Um... Next time, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. I think we would all want to talk about Dune as soon as possible, but unfortunately in Australia, that film doesn't get released until December. So we are going to have to find something else to talk about. Um, There is another Marvel movie coming out, um, and we may watch it. We're not sure, but we will let you guys know soon. Um, Thank you very much, everyone, for joining me tonight to talk about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Say goodnight, everyone. Good night. Good night. Oh.